This morning, as we continue um, the service, we're, we're kind of going somewhere different over the next three weeks, but, but I hope you had a good Christmas. I hope it was something worthwhile. I hope you enjoyed time with family and friends. I hope it was something that, that you really um, look forward to, and maybe you're having your Christmas today or tomorrow or next week, or maybe you had it a month ago, whatever it looks like for, as you celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus, but but have you ever noticed how as soon as Christmas is over, we're already thinking about the new year? I mean, I know it's only a week away. That's part of the problem. But as we think about a new year, we think about the year that has just gone before. And so we begin asking these kind of questions like, well, what should this year look like compared to last year? And maybe you're like me. Um, I usually choose not to make New Year's resolutions because I don't want to break them. And so if you just don't make them, you can't break them, right? It's much easier that way. But maybe you found yourself wishing that things were different in your life or that this certain area of your life would be different than it was the year before. Or maybe you just want to make sure that you end every year better than the one previously. And so you, you kind of think about what is this ending going to look like as you move into this new thing in 2016. But as some of us make New Year's resolutions, maybe you have made a resolution that looks something like this. Uh, you're going to watch what you eat this year. I watched what I ate all weekend thanks to Don... I eat lots of pie. Thank you. Um, maybe I should eat less pie in 2016 would be a really good thing. And so maybe if that was your resolution, maybe with that you think, well, I'm going to join a gym this year and I'm going to exercise more consistently. And one of my favorite times of the year is the first two or three weeks in January. If you go to a gym in the afternoon, they are packed. There are people everywhere. But don't worry. If you can make it through that first month, most of those people don't come back. I don't know what your New Year's resolution might be, but maybe if it's not exercise, maybe this year you're going to watch less television or read more books, and I hope you do that. Or maybe you find yourself not even looking about that, but you think, well, I've got these projects that I've started for years, or I've got these projects around the house, and I'm going to finish them this year. Hopefully you do. Maybe you're planning on working harder this year, because if you're really honest, you're pretty lazy at work. Maybe you think it'd be good to not be so lazy at work. Or maybe it's the other side of that spectrum. You say, you know, I've worked too much. I need to take a little more time off. Or maybe you think this is the year I'm going to be a better parent or grandparent. I'm going to do a better job of that. Or maybe if that's not it, you think, well, I don't have kids or grandkids, but I'm going to do a better job of looking after other people's kids and helping in that way. And if that's not it, maybe you say, well, I'm going to be a better spouse this year. I'm going to work to be better to my husband or to my wife. Most of these are good things, right? I mean, I don't think anyone would argue that anything on that list would be bad. But what if, what if there was one way that you could actually answer most of those things? What if there was one thing that you could do that would actually bring you most of those resolutions? Sorry. What if each of us sought to live more like Jesus? Before you dismiss that as a crazy idea that it might solve some of those things that I mentioned, if you really accept the love of Jesus in your life and you begin to live that out, you're going to begin to recognize that somehow in that you start to become a better husband or wife because your love is more selfless than it was before. Maybe you become better with your time because you're investing more time in God's kingdom, in the work, in the world, and so you begin to recognize the value in that. And the truth is, if you really follow after Jesus, you'll probably be even better in, in terms of exercise and your diet because you'll begin to re recognize that all of you is God's. That there's this 
holistic way of understanding our faith that takes into account every aspect of life, that no area of our life is left out. And with this, we begin to, to take into account, well, what are the resources that I have in my life? What are the things that I hold near and dear? What are, what are the things that I have to offer in terms of service? And we, we call these things um, resources, and we recognize that in every aspect of life, these resources are finite. Or they only go so far. We only have so much time in every day. There's 24 hours in every day. I would like a 36-hour day, but no one asks me. In fact, the sun rises and sets, and I have no control over that. No matter how much I have prayed that it would be longer, it's not. Especially in the winter when the sun doesn't come up until like 8.30. That's no good. But in case you've not figured it out, we don't have a lot of control over that. We don't have control over how many days that we're going to live. We can do things that further our life, but we really can't control that. And so one of the ways that we begin finding that that God calls us to recognize our own finiteness in life is this, that we're to be stewards of everything that we have. We're to take care of the things that we have the ability to take care of, and some things we have no control over, but some things we do. You see, from the beginning of creation, God has entrusted people with certain things, that there are certain ways of living that define the kingdom of God. And so here's what the writer of Genesis writes in chapter 1. He says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Listen to these words. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And so all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. From the beginning, everything that God created was for us. It was for men and women to be stewards of, to take care of, to be overseers of. And we know that sin entered into the world and everything changed. But what didn't change was God's call on each of us to be stewards of our resources, of the things in which we have control over. See, in the ancient world, a steward was someone who would work for a master, whether they were a slave or just a servant. And the steward of the house would oversee everything that the master had, from their personal finances to the food in the home, to overseeing the family or even raising of children. A steward would oversee everything that was the master's. And so what God says to us all throughout the scriptures is that we're called to be stewards of everything that he has for us. And if we're honest, we recognize that, that resources are finite. They're, they are, are not as abundant as we would always like. And so we're going to talk about three areas of our lives in which God calls us to be stewards over the next three weeks. Our time, as I mentioned, there's only 24 hours in a day, 365 days in a year, and we don't know how many years we're going to live. So time is a resource that we have that we're called to be be stewards of, to think carefully about how we invest our time, our treasure, our money, our stuff. Some of us have lots of money, some of us have little money. Some of us have lots of stuff, and some of us have little stuff. Little stuff, very little stuff, very little. That would be more appropriate. 
But what we find is this, that no matter what we have, the question that God has for us, is it mine or is it yours? Are you really going to entrust me with every aspect of your life? Or are you going to say to me that, God, you can have most of my life, but I'm going to hold back some parts because they're just for me. Uh, you know, I just, we have more bills this month, sorry. Whatever that looks like, that my money is mine, God. You can, you can talk to the rest of my life. We'll talk about that. And then we'll talk about the one we're going to talk about today, which is our talent. Each of us is uniquely gifted. We have different gifts and talents. We're going to use those words interchangeably today, gifts and talents. And we talk in, in if, if you haven't heard, Growth Track in, in 301, the third class of Growth Track, which begins again in February. If you've never been, I'd encourage you to participate. Uh, we talk about what are the, your gifts and talents and how is God calling you to use them in the world. But what we begin to find as we look at this idea of time, treasure, and talent is I don't know why God works this way. I don't know why he chooses to use us. In fact, it doesn't make any sense to me. I've met you, and I know me. Why would he use you and I? I'm not sure. But we know that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, for we are God's co-workers in God's service. This idea that God is doing this redemptive thing in the world, he's recreating all things. He's redeeming everything in the world in which we live. And he's using you and I as his co-workers in this endeavor. You and I are the people who are called to usher in the kingdom of God in every aspect of our life. I know it doesn't make sense. It wouldn't be my first pick. I'd rather God just do it himself, but that's not the way he works in the world. He uses us. And as we come out of this Christmas season, we come out of this season in which we celebrate this idea that the greatest gift we've ever been given is Jesus himself. This gift that means Emmanuel, or God with us. And so our time, our treasure, and our talent, we respond in this way. It's living out of our gifts and our talents is the overflow of our receiving of the gift of his son. That we respond because of the gift that he has given us, and then we offer back our gifts, our talents, everything that we have and are. So what does it look like then for us to live this out? What what do the scriptures say about this? How do we begin to embody this or live this kind of way in which we recognize there are certain ways in which the kingdom of God is to function in the world, that Jesus' followers are to live certain particular kinds of ways? And so here's what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Uh, We'll be looking at the first 11 verses of 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'll invite you to stand as we do. First Peter chapter 4. Here's what Peter writes. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they'll have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit." The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Don't miss these words. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. 
If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. You know, 1 Peter is kind of a fascinating letter because um, scholars debate on what the kind of point of the writing of the letter was, but what isn't really debated is Peter kind of has a couple goals in the writing. One is that we recognize the grace of God that comes before us, and if you know Peter's life, you'd recognize why the grace of God is so important. The second thing is this, he wants to make sure we recognize that there are very particular ways in which people are supposed to live if they call themselves followers of Jesus. Within that, we see in this text that Peter wants to make sure we don't miss that all of this stems from the idea that there's something unique about the love of God, that in Jesus, it is the embodiment of God's love, that this self-giving, sacrificial person who lived and died and rose again is to offer us new life, and we're to be the embodiment of this love. It's to be the defining characteristic of the Christian life. It's to be the central thing in every aspect of who we are. It's to be what's used, and every time we use our gifts and our talents, we use them out of this overflow of God's love for us. It's as if Peter is reiterating what Jesus himself said, that I didn't come just to be served, but I came to serve. That's why Peter, when we look at this text, he talks about this idea of hospitality. And I know for some of us in the room, hospitality just makes total sense. It's, well, why wouldn't I have a bunch of people to my house? And why wouldn't I just host people on a regular basis? Why wouldn't I do that? That just makes sense. And others in this room are going, yeah, but I've got like one thing on my counter. It's a wreck. I can't have people over in this house. Others are like, I don't care. Just come on in. And so what Peter isn't saying here is that everyone has the same gift of hospitality, but the people of God are to be defined by hospitality. For all of us, we all know there's a restaurant that has a dollar menu that you could take someone if you don't want to bring them to your house. Right? Everyone eats. If you didn't eat, you wouldn't be here today. I don't know if you knew that or not. I just want to make sure you did. One of the unique things about the church is that no matter what, we want to make sure that when people come, especially in this local church, one of my biggest fears is that people will show up and they'll say, you know, um, I came in, but I really wasn't welcome there. And so I don't think we'll be back. See, one of the things that marked the early church, and it had to for its survival, was hospitality. That when people would show up, they would embrace them and they would welcome them in. In fact, they often would give them a meal. If we're not marked by hospitality, and I know for some that's easier than others, then we're not really marked by Jesus. But this idea that we each have unique gifts and talents, some of you do have the gift of hospitality, but others of us maybe don't. Some in this room have the ability to sing. I'm always so jealous of those who sing. At my family gatherings, I'm always the one they say, can you sing quieter, please? <laughs> we can hear you. It is that bad, I'm told. I think they're all lying. You can ask them. But we each have unique gifts and talents. Some of you have the ability to build stuff. Some of you have the ability to go into places and 
hope to people that feel like they're hopeless. Wherever you find yourself, you have unique gifts and abilities. And so I wanted to share this morning one of my favorite lines when it comes to talents or gifts. It's from the movie Hoosiers. And if you haven't seen it, when you go home today, order it online. Go pick it up at Family Video or buy it. Because if you haven't watched it, shame on you. See, there's this line in the movie, and and there's a character played by Gene Hackman. And um, Gene Hackman plays Coach Norman Dale. And Gene Hackman moves to this small town in Indiana, and it's kind of like this in Indiana, where they, people will seriously ask you what kind of offense you run, and they're not joking when they ask that. You think it's an exaggeration. I can tell you it was high school. But, but Gene Hackman shows up at this high school, and they say, well, you're not going to be any good if Jimmy doesn't play. Jimmy Chitwood is the, one of the stars in the movie who says like four lines in the whole movie. But Gene Hackman says, well, you know, he doesn't want to come out for the team, and so I'm going to leave him alone. And, and so this teacher comes and says, leave Jimmy alone. He's going to get an academic scholarship. And Gene Hackman looks at the teacher and says, well, if he's as good as everyone says, I would think an athletic scholarship would make sense. And she says, well, don't be giving him those false ideas. So as the movie progresses, um, Gene Hackman figures out they really do need that guy, and he really is that good. And so he shows up in the backyard, which is true of every home in Indiana. There's a basketball goal somewhere on the property. And he shows up and he walks out and there's this dirt court and Jimmy's shooting baskets. And in fact, Gene Hackman starts rebounding and throwing them back to him. And he makes something like 15 shots in a row. Finally, Gene Hackman catches the ball. The character coach Norman Dale catches the ball. And he says this line. You have special talent. A gift. Not the schools, not the townspeople, not the teams, not my Fleeners, not mine. It's yours to do with what you choose because that's what I believe. I can tell you this. I don't care if you play in the team or not. I love this line um, for lots of reasons, but I, I want to take it a step further and change it a little bit. I do care if you play on the team or not. Um, I think it matters whether you do or don't. But I want to read this line again. You have a special talent, a gift. Not the schools, not the townspeople, not the teams, not anyone else's, not mine. It's yours to do with what you choose. I wholeheartedly believe that. Each of us in this room has a special unique gift or talent. To do with what we choose, whether it's something artistic or musical or athletic or whatever it might be, or you have the ability to do carpentry, whatever your gift or talent might be, or you have the ability to be hospitable to people. Whatever your gift, you have the ability to choose what you want to do with it. You can do nothing. You can leave it. You can hoard it to yourself. You can use it only in your workplace, and it's fine. You can use it only in the local church, which is fine. But none of those are to use it in the full extent to which God is calling us to use it in every aspect of our life. Our unique gifts and talents are meant to be used in everything that we do. So I believe William Barclay, one of the scholars, uses this quote in this line. He says, the church needs every gift that a man has. Maybe a gift of speaking, of music, of the ability to visit people. It may be a craft or a skill which can be used in the practical service of the church. It may be a house that a man possesses or money that he has inherited. There is no gift which cannot be placed at the service of Christ. See, I'm always amazed at this particular local church and its history. One of the things I love is the room in which my office is located. Um, I see beams from what used to be the sanctuary. And those beams are always a reminder to me, at least once or twice a week, I think about the fact that each of those beams were put there um, by men and women who, some are still a part of this church, like the Fries in the house. 
Rich Mitchell is a, a gentleman who's now an older gentleman in our church, but he was a young 15, 16-year-old kid helping them build this place a long time ago. See, I'm always amazed at the way that people donate their time and their energy and their effort and their finances so that you and I can have a place that we gather today. And service isn't always some grandiose thing. Stewardship isn't always something that we do in big pictures where everyone gets to see it. Sometimes it's something little. Like, I don't know about you, but, but our, our dentist talked, and my wife talked me into these toothbrushes. And they, you press a little button on them, and they vibrate for two full minutes. I don't know, maybe you have one similar to that. And you're supposed to brush your teeth for two full minutes, which, by the way, sometimes it goes really quickly. Other times, it feels like an eternity that you're brushing your teeth. And I don't know if you've ever thought about two minutes of brushing your teeth. So if you do it twice a day, and I would ask how many of you brush your teeth, but I really don't want to know if you don't. In fact, I don't want to get too near you if you don't. Um, I would encourage that. It's a really good thing for all of us if you do. But if you brush your teeth twice a day for two minutes each, that's four minutes a day. That's two hours a month. That's 24 hours a year. That's one full day per year of brushing your teeth. It sounds like a waste when you say it like that. You spend a day a year brushing my teeth. Yet if you don't brush your teeth, you'll find in several years you'll have no teeth left. And you wouldn't have been a very good steward of what you were given. But that's just brushing your teeth. I mean, I could talk about how many minutes do we spend doing other kinds of things. How many minutes do we waste per day? How often do we use our talents in ways that really are wasteful to ways in which they could really transform the world? I want to read verse 11 one more time. Here's what Peter wrote. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So whatever we say or do in every aspect, whatever we speak, especially in any kind of teaching role, whether it's your own kids or someone else's kids, we're to speak as if Jesus himself were speaking. We're to act and serve as if Jesus himself were serving. We're to do all these things in the context of living out this idea that God loves us and we're called to live out that love in that same kind of way. Each of us have unique gifts and talents. Are we using them? And I, and I want to be careful here. Sometimes when we talk about this kind of stuff, we think we're only talking about using stuff at church. In fact, I'm convinced that if you're only using your gifts at church, that you're not using them well at all. Because most of us spend no more, no more than two to five hours a week here. And if you spend five, you're one of the few who does that. But if we're using our unique gifts and talents in every aspect of our life, then wherever we are, whether it's at home or at work or at school, then we begin to be able to use those in such a way that God can honor that in every aspect of our life. See, I, I grew up in a house where I remember as a kid, my dad would, would get up early on Sunday mornings, um, and he would drag me with him a lot, and we would drive to the church, and we would get in this big 15-passenger van, and sometimes he'd let me go get donuts, but I could only have one because we had to save them for everybody else, which I didn't ever understand. And then we'd go around and we'd drive to different houses and we'd pick up kids whose parents either wanted them to go to church but wouldn't bring them or kids who didn't have parents or whatever the case would be. And every Sunday morning for years, I would ride with him on this van and we'd go pick up kids and take them to church. And then after church, he'd take them all home. 
My mom taught a Sunday school class for two and three-year-olds for like 35 years in a row. And she would teach one service, and often the teacher wouldn't show up, and she'd teach both services every single week. I remember being in college and coming back home for a weekend, and um, my grandfather had recently retired as the pastor of the church I grew up in, and and he had gone back on staff working part-time doing like senior adult ministry stuff. And, and so I walked in, and, and you'd have to meet my grandfather to know this. If you met him now, you wouldn't believe me, but now he wears jeans. But at that point in his life, I never saw him wear a pair of jeans even to cut the grass. He wore dress pants for everything. And so I walk in the church, and there he was in his dress pants and just a V-neck t-shirt. Well, you had never left the house like that. So I was looking at him like, what is he doing? And I walk in, I saw two sawhorses set up, and the bathroom doors were missing out of the foyer of the church. And he said, well, they needed sanding down and restained, and it was either to buy new doors or someone had to do this, so I just took them down and I'll do it. And so there he was in his t-shirt, sanding down doors with stain out. And so that's what he was going to do for part of that day. No one was ever going to know he did that, unless he told them, and he never would have. In fact, no one this day might know if I didn't tell people. See, there's something about service and using our talents that doesn't have to be up front. One of the people that, that um, I've been fortunate to know um, is a guy named Dan Olson. And Dan Olson was a guy at our church in Illinois who was a, a plumber and, and pipe, pipe fitter and really could do anything. And Dan goes on at least one mission trip every year and uses his talents to help build churches or orphanages or all kinds of things all around the world. But the other thing Dan does is he doesn't just do it there, and he doesn't just use it at his job, but, but he helps people in the church on a regular basis. So often, in fact, that I felt like I had his number on speed dial. I would call Dan and say, hey, Dan, um, such and such is broken. You think you got a minute? But yeah, I'll be right there. I always felt guilty a little bit calling because I knew he would come. Um, and one time, it was, we had Isaac, I think it was a baby, and our air conditioner went out. And so Dan shows up and starts working on it, and he says, well, I don't know if I can fix this, but I'll be right back. And he goes home, and he says, well, I was at a job a while back. And they didn't need his air conditioner, so he brought it back to our house, and he installed it, and so we didn't have to buy anything or pay him anything. We'd always offer, and he'd go, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. Because he recognized he had a unique set of gifts and talents that most of us don't have. And he wanted to make sure he used them to make sure people began to recognize the love of God in their lives. It's true here. Like I mentioned, the people like Rich and Aaron and others who donate their time for not just the upkeep of the building, but for all kinds of other things. There are the hearts who are part of our church who go visit people who are shut in and can't leave. And they go and pray with them and visit them and make sure they know that they're still loved and there's still people at the church who care about them. Some of you do it in your workplaces in ways that we don't ever know, and maybe no one else will ever know, but there's a way in which we're called to use our gifts and talents in powerful ways. In fact, as a church, we've tried to do this in various ways. We, we've partnered with the Rescue Mission in several different ways. That's why we offer um, the Moving for the Mission 5K in the fall, and all the proceeds go to help the Rescue Mission, because we want to make sure that we're doing our part to help with those who are homeless. That's why the last couple summers we've sent people on different Witness, work witness trips or mission trips to various communities. Went to Flint a couple years ago and worked in some of the areas of blight. Last summer, we had a group go to Humboldt Park in Chicago and do work there. This coming summer, we're partnering with Habitat for Humanity in our local community to help build a couple houses, and so we'll be hearing more about what that's going to look like for us. We don't just do it as a church body, but we do it individually in every aspect of our life. And so I came across this story this week that I wanted to share with you um, 
So here's the story. Mark was an 11-year-old orphan who lived with his aunt, a bitter middle-aged woman, greatly annoyed with the burden of caring for her dead sister's son. She never failed to remind young Mark, if it hadn't been for her generosity, he'd be a vagrant, a homeless little boy. Still, with all the scolding and chilliness at home, he was a sweet and gentle child. Mark's school teacher had not noticed him particularly until he began staying after class each day at the risk of arousing his aunt's anger, she later found, to help her straighten up the room. They did this quietly and comfortably, not speaking much, but enjoying the solitude of that hour of the day. When they did talk, Mark spoke mostly of his mother. Though he was quite small when she died, he remembered a kind, gentle, loving woman who always spent much time with him. As Christmas drew near, however, Mark failed to stay after school each day. His teacher looked forward to his coming, and when the days passed and he continued to scamper hurriedly from the room after class, she stopped him one afternoon and asked why he no longer helped her in the room. She told him how she had missed him, and his large gray eyes lit up eagerly as he replied, Did you really miss me? Mark's teacher explained how he had been her best helper. I was making you a surprise, he whispered confidentially. It's for Christmas. With that, he became embarrassed and dashed from the room. He didn't stay after school anymore after that. Finally came the last school day before Christmas. Mark crept slowly into the room late that afternoon with his hands concealing something behind his back. I have your present, he said timidly when his teacher looked up. I hope you like it. He held out his hands and there lying in his small palms was a tiny wooden box. It's beautiful, Mark. Is there something in it? I asked, opening the top to look inside. Oh, you can't see what's in it, he replied. And you can't touch it, or taste it, or feel it. But Mother always said it makes you feel good all the time, warm on cold nights, and safe when you're all alone. I gazed into the empty box. What is it, Mark? I asked gently. That will make me feel so good. It's love, he whispered softly. A mother always said it's best when you give it away. He turned, and it quietly left the room. See, the challenge for us is to use our gifts and our talents in our everyday life. The challenge for us is to recognize that somehow in the gift of Christ, the gift of Jesus, that somehow in that gift we're to be such a unique people as we follow after him. So earlier we, we sang a song with a line that says, Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. But part of how those sorrows are healed is by the way that we live. By the way we use our gifts and our talents. It's by, by us saying to God, you can use every aspect of my life, especially my job, especially my family, especially what I do all the time. I'll use each of these opportunities and make them opportunities for me to make sure people begin to see the love of God in every aspect of my life. And in each of us doing that, we begin to see God do an incredible thing in the world in which we live. He begins to redeem and restore what is broken. He begins to make wrongs right. He begins to work in little boys' lives like Mark. And they begin to see something different. So no matter how we use our gifts, our talents, each time we do something, every single day is to be defined by love because that's the mark of what it looks like to follow after Jesus. So as we move into this new year, let's move in not just 
trying to come up with resolutions, but let's move into a new year trying to have a deeper faith. Recognizing that as the new year dawns, that God wants us to have this deeper faith in which all of our lives, that we're stewards of everything that we have or are, and he uses that to further his kingdom in the world. And so it's why we're going to sing again at the song. I know the order of service says we're going to sing joy to the world again, although we're joyous that Christ came and will come again. We're going to sing the song, Come As You Are Again, in a moment, and I want us to sing it thinking about this. That maybe today there is a sorrow or a hurt in your life that you need somehow heaven to heal. But also this morning as we sing this song, we sing it recognizing that God calls us to use our gifts and our talents to be a part of his healing, redeeming work in the world. So I'd invite you to stand this morning. Um, and I want to read the last line of this passage that we use this morning. And the last line is this. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever Amen. God calls us to use our gifts and talents to be stewards of all that we have and to use them so that we can recognize it's all for the work of God in the world. So won't you join in that endeavor this new year? Won't you not just make resolutions, but won't you seek to have a deeper faith? Father, we help us in these final closing moments together as we sing this song together. You'll work in and through us but we're going to recognize that as Peter writes that our lives are to be centered on this idea of God's love for us. So may use every part of us to further this love in the world. May this boy's story, this Mark, may his story be lots of stories in which our lives have intersected. And may we use our gifts and our talents to reflect your love in the world. Pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Come out of sadness from wherever you